different approach, maybe, to, to the way that we normally unpack this, these questions today. But I want to I show you from God's Word how we can see the humanity of Jesus through this Old Testament prophecy, as well as the, the deity of Jesus. The fact that Jesus was truly man, but that even in this description, we can see that he is truly God. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to give me some more verses or thoughts that we know, even the titles of Christ, that we can see maybe it, it relates to his humanity, and maybe we can see that it relates to his deity, the fact that he is God. Okay, so are you there in Isaiah chapter 9? I think it'll come up here on the screen. Okay, we got a different background on there. He's going to get that. Paul's and I guess... I should have put that up there. If you just click on that wooden one, it should come right up behind. Uh, this, you see it? This is um, Isaiah chapter, there should be a blank wooden background further down in the sermon. Or go, look, go down underneath where the pictures are, click on any one of those, and it'll, it'll come over it. Then go to the edit mode. You can click on any one above it and it'll come up. And then come down to the other one. It just needs to change that background. There you go. Now just go to the, there you go, super. Technology on the fly, isn't it wonderful? All right, this is Isaiah 9 beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have what, church? Seen a great light. By the way, this is a, this is a prophecy of Isaiah it's really a prophecy against Israel. It's a prophecy of judgment, but also redemption. And it's specifically given to a terrible king uh, in Israel's history called Ahaz, who was a very wicked uh, king. Um, and so he's talking about the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. By the way, the people he's talking about there are non-Jewish people. And there's a word for them, which is what? It starts with a G. Gentiles. Gentiles. By the way, what are you? What am I? Yeah, we're all Gentiles. Um, and so we should be very thankful that this is true. This is, the, this is the prophecy that unfolded history so that you and I even have an opportunity to know who God is and to be set right with him. He said, those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, that's us, by the way, upon them has shine, the light has shined. And aren't we thankful for that? Next verse, this is God. God, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. And let me put it this way. What he's talking about, he's using past tense as though, even though it hasn't happened yet. He's saying, look, when the Gentiles get it, they're going to be, they're going to rejoice when they understand that, that their sins can be forgiven, they are going to rejoice uh, just as like you do on payday. Apparently nobody's here and heard that. Do you not rejoice on payday? Are you not happy? If you're not happy to get your check, bring it to me and I'll rejoice for you. Right? It's, it's, this is what it's like when you're getting paid. And he goes, for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. All right? For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood, they will be used for burning and fuel 
of fire. In other words, the, the, the time of war is going to be over. All right. Now, here is the sign. And here's why all of this is going to be true for Gentile nations. For unto us a what? Say it with me. A child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be what? No, no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, uh, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And I love this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isn't that great? God's zeal is going to make this happen. All right. The next one there, Sam. Anybody know who that guy is on the screen? You know, if Nick was here, he would know. Um, Brother Nick was a history buff, and, and he loved history. This guy is Augustine of Hippo, or otherwise known often as St. Augustine. And what's interesting about Augustine is that two sides of the church claim him as their guy. The Catholics claim him, and the Protestants also claim him. Uh, he truly understood uh, both sides of, this, of, the, of the issue. But here's what Augustine said about Jesus Christ being truly God and truly man. I thought it was brilliant. So listen to these words. Listen to them carefully. He who existed as the Son of God before all ages, without a beginning, deigned to become the Son of Man in these recent years. He did this, all, he did this although he who submitted to such great evils for our sake had done no evil. And although we, who were the recipients of so much good at his hands, had done nothing to merit these benefits. Think about that. Now listen to these words chosen carefully. Begotten by the Father, he was not made by the Father. Very important distinction. He was made man in the mother whom he himself had made so that he might exist here for a while sprung from her who could never and nowhere have existed except through his power isn't that amazing sprung from her who could never and nowhere have existed except through his power we're going to skip that video, Sam, so go right to the next verse, if you would. I want to show you today, and keep, keep your scriptures open to Isaiah 9, and go down to the verse um, that talks about the names of Jesus, for unto us a child is born. What verse is that? Verse 6. And uh, what is the first line of verse 6? All right, for unto us a child is born. Now, let me, let me rehearse with you for a minute. This is so important to ask when you're looking at Scripture, and we don't ask this question enough. You've got to ask, as you, especially prophecy, but any Scripture, who, who is the writer writing to? 
And who is he writing about? Because sometimes, as in this scripture, it's two different peoples. So remember, he starts off the chapter, those who have lived in darkness have seen a what? A great light. Who's he talking about? Gentiles. Who's he talking to? No, who's he talking to? For unto us, Isaiah, the nation of Israel. Do you see the distinction? And I'm going to show you in a, more, in a minute why that's so vitally important. Because when he's, so, so get it, he's talking to Israel about any, everyone who's not Israel, Gentiles, right? So when he says unto us, who's he saying? Unto Israel, right? Because out of, because Jesus was a Jew. Okay, is this hard? No. no. Can you see where you can go south really fast if you don't understand this? So he says, unto us, unto the Jews, is born, what is, what's that first line say? For unto us, all right, I'm going to write that down here. And you might want to reproduce this. A child is born, but then what's the next phrase say? Unto us a what? I want to show you this. Listen to this. And who is this a prophecy of? Yeah, it's, it's so obvious this is the Messiah. Our question is, what sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? And it is one who is truly man and truly God. And now, now look at this. Is, this is really, I think this is cool. Children are born, sons are given. Unto us a child is born. That's humanity. Follow this for a minute. A child, if a child is born, that child is a human being. Did you get that? So this refers to the humanity of Christ. And on the screen, you, you're seeing a, a passage, Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. Normally read at Christmas time. So what is, what is today, May? We'll do Christmas in May today. And uh, read that with me, if you will. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, here's her firstborn son. So Jesus was born, just he came in the world like we did. Now, not necessarily in a barn. By the way, I thought about this one time, just trying to, trying to bring the reality of Christ into reality. You know, have you ever, did you ever walk out the door when you were a kid and leave the door open? Your mother said, what's the matter with you? Were you born in a barn? And if Mary ever said that to Jesus, he could say, uh, actually, I was. <laughs> um, he was born in a barn. So we see his humanity, right? He came into the earth just like you and I, just like every other human being did. But, but the next phrase is telling. It says, for unto us, child is born, and unto us, unto Israel, what? A son is given. A son is given. Now, before we flip the screen and show you the verse, what verse comes to your mind about the Son of God being given? That's it. John 3 and verse 16. Now, come up there on the screen. When you hear those references, we'll get them up there. John 3, 16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world 
And he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that word world there is interesting, and I'm not going to take the time to go into it. Um, it gets misinterpreted a lot, but, but, but John uses a specific word there for world that basically says not just the Jews, but everybody. And what did we just hear at the beginning of Isaiah 9? For those who walked in darkness have what? John 3.16 is, is, the, is the culmination of that prophecy. Isn't that something? Isn't that cool? So we see that, that Jesus was born as a human being, but he existed before then and was given as, as, the, as a, the son of God. And who gave him to the world? God, for God so loved the world. And when we say God here, we understand this very clearly to mean the first person of the Trinity or God the what? Father. And then God the Son who existed throughout eternity past, enjoying the Father, also together they enjoyed the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many persons are there in God? We sing a little song. There are three persons in one God. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the last line there. Yeah, there are, I'm, I'm singing the song in my head. So are you, Elizabeth. I see her nodding back there. And it goes, there are three persons in one God. So, interesting. Under man, under humanity, we see he is truly man because he came into the world just like every other man comes into the world, other than a human being. But he's also truly God because there is a son that is given. And it's interesting, a child is born, but a son is given. And that has specific reference uh, to the Old Testament sacrifice. What's the next phrase? Because remember, the Old Testament sacrifice for sin, it had to be a lamb, but what gender lamb? It had to be a male of the first year without blemish. First year equates to firstborn, the first son of the one and only son, only begotten son of God. Male, perfect without blemish. None of this is by accident. Isn't it exciting to be a Christian and look at, see how the, the whole scriptures are so consistent when they talk about Christ. All right, what's the next phrase? Unto us a, a, a child is born, unto us a son is given. What's the next thing? All right. Now, where do you think that goes? The government will be upon his shoulders. Does that talk about his humanity or his deity or both? Where, what, what does government rule? Rules people. So I, it's just me. I would put that here. Um, the government will be, what's it say? And I'm going to put in there 1 Corinthians 15. You can put it up there, Sam. 25. I want to show you the New Testament version of this. And it's interesting to note here. It doesn't say shoulders, plural. What does it say? Shoulder. shoulder. Because we say when we have to shoulder a burden, right? And, and how many shoulders are we generally born with? Two. How many does Jesus need to rule the world? That ought to comfort you. Right? Are, is anybody here this morning or am I here by myself? Hey, he needs one shoulder to take care of, the, to handle the weight and the burden of this world. He doesn't even need them both. 
but he needed both shoulders to bear the weight of your sin. What does that tell you? Ruling the world is easier than paying for your sin. That's how bad our sin is. It's pretty strong, isn't it? For he must reign till he has put how many of his enemies under his feet? All his enemies under his feet. Oh, Jesus is going to reign until every enemy is, is under his authority and under his feet. And the Bible tells us very clearly the last enemy that will be destroyed and put under his feet is death. Death is an enemy. And don't ever forget it. The wages of sin is what? Death. Sin is an enemy. Death is an enemy. And one day, because sin will be fully dealt with when history is over, no more sin. That's it, memory. No more death. We don't need it anymore. And we read these sorrowful things like the letter I read to you from our missionaries to Ireland and how Ireland is just continuing to turn her back on God. Legalizing abortion now. But I want to tell you what, God is still in control. And I love that phrase at the end of Seth's letter when he said, let us, not let us not say, look what the world has come to, but instead let us say, look what has come to the world. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, singular, because it's not that hard for him. And he must reign until all his enemies are under his feet. And that last enemy is death. And one of these days, Jesus is going to put sin away forever, and, and the culmination of history and that last enemy, which is death, will be destroyed and all enemies will be under his feet. It's coming. It's called hope. And we must build our life upon this reality. Amen? Amen. He is, he is the God who is able. The government will be upon his shoulder. What's the next phrase that you see in there? All right. So now... We got this, we've got this child that's born and a son that is given. Fully man, fully God. The government is on his shoulder, singular, right? He is currently reigning. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples as, as he sent them out? And, and by, by them, also us, by application. In, in Matthew 28, 18, he said, All authority is given to who? Me. Where? In heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Right? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And don't forget, I am with you always, even until the end of the age, till I pull the plug on this thing and I send death to hell forever. All authority belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We can't afford to forget that and to factor that into every decision that we have to make. And now, because this fully human, this, this truly human, truly God-man is sent, and, and we see why he's coming. He is coming to rule and to reign. 
Now listen, the first thing that stands in his way of this ruling and reigning, are you ready? Write this down, is you. Mm. Yeah, as they say, you ought to say amen or ouch. The first thing that stands in his way is you. And the reason you stand in his way and I stand in his way and every human being that came from Adam and Eve is because we are born in what? Sin. And he was not. He is righteous. That means without sin. Sin will always and forever be the enemy of righteousness. Right? And so because of that, he has to come and he has to govern. He has to rule. He has to lead. He has to judge. And he will always do so, listen to me, from a vantage point and from a standpoint of that which is right and holy and good. And when you and I don't like that, it's because there is something in us that is not right and holy and good. Does that make any sense this morning? And so now we got this picture of this truly man, truly God person who's going to come, if we're back in Isaiah's day. And now it says, let me tell you what he's going to be called, what people are going to call him. And names are important. What do names signify? Hmm? Who you are, it's your identity, right? That little baby that my wife is holding, he is named Paul John Jettle III. Lovingly known in our family as P3. Although my wife says that's got to change. I think his mother said that's got to change. I think we're calling him Paul John right now, which they used to call his father back in Florida. Uh, everybody in, in our Florida days still refers to him as Paul John. But, but anyway, his name is his identity. And, and, and it's an honorable thing to grant a child the name of one of his ancestors, specifically his father or his grandfather. Because name recognition, your name is who you are. It's who you're attached to. It's what you're about. So who is this person, this God-man, who is going to be born and who's, gonna, who's coming to rule? What, 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 what characteristics will he be known by? Well, the first thing he's going to be called is what? His name will be called, he will be called Wonderful. And for that, you can go there, Sam. We turn to Judges, the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Sam. There you go. Sam's a little slow on the uptake up there. Judges 13, 18. And read this with me. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is what? Wonderful. Now, let me just explain something to you. When you see this description in the Old Testament, angel of the Lord, that is not Gabriel and it's not Michael. By the way, that's the only two named angels in the Bible. Um, this angel of the Lord is, is really a title. And theologians call it a Christophanes. In other words, that is, a, that is Jesus taking a a physical form before he took the form of a baby in the womb of Mary. We call it this, the pre-incarnate form of Christ. It's God showing up in a physical form as an angel 
before he shows up in a physical form as Yeshua of Nazareth. Does that make sense? And he does this a lot in the Old Testament. And whenever you see angel of the Lord, don't think Michael, don't think Gabriel, think Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's showing up before he shows up. Right? And he says, so, so this is Jesus before he shows up as Yeshua of Nazareth. And he's saying, Why are you asking, what are you asking me about my name for? My name is what? And isn't he? He's wonderful. What is wonder? What is wonder? It's amazement. It is awe. It is mind-blowing. And he says, let me tell you who I am. I am mind-blowing. I, I am the, the God-man who should have you in awe. Your, your, the hard drive of your brain cannot contain who I am. This is, the, this is the Messiah that we talk about. This is the Redeemer who buys us back out of the slave market of sin. That's what to redeem means, ex agarazzo. Ex meaning out of agarazzo is the slave market. He buys us out from underneath the authority of the slave market through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. No wonder they call him wonderful. What's the next one? Wonderful what? All right, counselor. And we go to Romans for that. And this is Romans, I think it's, is it eight? I think, let's see what it says. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become what? His counselor. Keep going. Or who has first given to him that it shall be repaid to him? In other words, what did you get that you gave God that he didn't give you first? Now check this out. Oh, it's Romans 11. For of him and what? Through him and back what? To him are what? All things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I got that on the wrong side. Counselor is supposed to be over here. Right? Because of him, through him, of him and through him and back to him are all things. Who can give God counsel? Not much. How many of you are parents in here? Have you ever had your kids try to give you some counsel? How'd that go? We have a saying in the parenting world. It said you take it with a grain of salt. Why? Because they're the kid, right? They don't know anything. And, you know, if you let that, by the way, that's why families should never be run as a democracy. Because the immature outnumber the mature. At least in our home they did. Our house was run like the government of scriptures. It's a benevolent dictatorship. Right? Who, what, what, what am I going to tell God? How am I going to counsel? I'm not going to counsel him. Oh, but aren't you glad that he counsels us? And as the God-man, he has the ability to counsel us, but not only give us counsel, but know what it's like to walk where we walk. I'll talk more about this next week because we're talking about the human, the humanity of Christ. Why, why, this, why does this Redeemer have to be human? No time to get into that today. But this is a beautiful thing as you think about it. He's been where we've been. But listen, He comes from where we have not. He, is, he comes from 
of old, the scriptures say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, he's been where we've been, but we haven't been where he's been. And he's got the vantage point of heaven and eternity, but he's also sympathetic. He's walked where we walk. He's buried his loved ones. He's seen the ravages of sin against himself. And yet he was led as a lamb before his slaughter. He didn't even open his mouth. Amazing. This counselor. What's the next one? Mighty God. Go ahead, Sam. Mighty God. For that, we go to Titus. Chapter 2, I think verse 13, if I'm going from memory. Yep, there it is. Check this out. Paul talking to Titus, he says this, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And who is that? Jesus Christ. He is both God and He is our rescuer. And listen to me, if he wasn't truly human and truly God, listen to me, he couldn't be either. Oh, and I'm going to unpack this in the next two weeks, man. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. Don't come if you don't want to get your toes stepped on and your soul healed. Because by the way, there's got to be a lot of pain before there can be the healing that follows up the pain. How many of you ever had um, an ingrown toenail? Those are wretched things of the fall of man. And how many of you know that you got to go through a good amount of pain before there can be some healing on the other side of that? Right? So don't be afraid of the pain. Mighty God, that's him. He's the mighty God. He is our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What's the next thing you see? Everlasting Father. I wish I could write faster and neat. I realize as I'm doing this that I'm wasting my time because none of you can read this. I can't even read it. And I'm, and I'm writing it. And this one, we turn to John 14, 9. I, that's why in my class that I teach eighth grade students, I never write on the board. I always make them do it. Um, and they think I'm getting them to that so they will participate. I'm doing it so they can read what's on there. So we have the everlasting Father. Here it is. And, and so Jesus is talking to his disciples, and Philip says, Philip says, okay, here's the deal. Just show us the Father, and we're all good. And so this is Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, basically what he's saying is, how long have I been with you? In the, if this was an Italian version of it, he'd smack Philip in the back of the head and say, Philip, how long have I been with you? Right? And yet you don't know me? You, you got to be kidding me. He who has seen me has seen who, church? The Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You can write in there in the margin, duh. Like Brother Barta said last week. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? What does that tell us? That's why he's called the what? Everlasting Father. How many of you have had a father in your life? Of course you have. I look around this place, I see, I, I've known some of your fathers and I've buried several of your fathers. But this father that Jesus is, what is a father, first of all? How do you become a father? Boy, if y'all don't know the answer to this, we just got to go back to school. Huh? Yeah, you had to produce a child. 
right? And you become a father. What does this tell you about the God-man? What does he have? He has children. Jesus has kids. You say, but he was single. Yes, he was. He was faithfully unmarried. Single man. But I want to tell you what. He has sons and he has daughters through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. He's a father. But listen, unlike your father, he's going to be around how long? Forever. And remember what I said? He is, he is righteous and just and good, and he's going to be around forever. And he brought you, he, you, you were born again through him into this kingdom. He's the everlasting father. What's the next one? That's the last one. Prince. See, Sam finally figured it out. When I start writing, flip the screen. And that's Ephesians what? 2.14. I put that on the human side. Why do you think I put that on, on the side of him being a man? That's exactly right. Because peace in heaven <clears throat> is the very air in that place. But when our first parents rebelled against the Father in the Garden of Eden, we lost all sense of peace. We even lost the very definition because peace isn't a thing. Listen to me, church. Peace is a person. A person who is truly man and truly God. And the scriptures say, for he himself is our what? Peace. Peace. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. This was talking about the Jew and Gentile problem in the church. He said, look, you're not a Jew and you're not a Gentile. You're something different because he has made peace between the two. And if you think that that African-American and white racism was, is a big problem, you don't even have a clue what the Gentile Jew problem was. You talk about racism to the nth degree, it was ugly, it was violent, and it was accepted and expected. We got nothing on a first century Gentile and Jew hatred for each other. And yet God saves them both and puts them in a family. The only way that happens if there's a prince. Who is a prince? What is a prince? He's the son of a what? Of the king. Who's who's the king? The father. And Jesus is his son, begotten, not made. And he is given. Because of that, he won our peace with God. That's what a redeemer is. And he's the prince of peace. That word peace is a beautiful word. It's irene in the Greek. And it's a medical term. It's actually an orthopedic term. It's talking about a bone that's broken and separated. If you wonder what I'm looking at over here, Jonathan's out here faithfully working our security. And so I'm looking out at Jonathan. By the way, i got three guys that I want to talk to you about. So you can all rotate each Sunday. And they haven't volunteered. They've been voluntold. I told them and they're going to do it. Dale is one of them back there. <laughs> so you can talk to him today. <laughs> I just want to keep Jonathan. Jonathan's so good about paying attention off to the corner. Now, I forgot what I was talking about. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Prince of Peace. Um, oh, that's what I was talking about. The peace. It, Irene, it's, it's an orthopedic term. When a bone is broken, 
the, the, the term was in, in the Greek language was as irene, and it was to put the bone back together and to isolate it from movement so that when it's healed, it's actually stronger than it was before it was broken. And what you've done is you have brought peace to the bone. You've put it back together. Now listen to this. This is so beautiful. And none of this is by accident. He's the prince. He is the crown prince of putting back together and making stronger that which was broken. And in this context, coming through the Jewish nation, including the Gentile people, he said, you talk about separation from God. None of you are righteous. No, not one. But there is one coming who is going to put you back together and make it strong where it's broken. Amen. This is the God that we, this is the Redeemer that was prophesied. This is the God that we need. This is the one who came, who poured out his life's blood so that our sin can be forgiven and so that we can have peace with our Creator who is now our Redeemer. This is God. This is the one we serve. That's why back in a little bit ago, if you turn just, you don't have to go there, but if you still got your Bibles open, Isaiah, Isaiah 7 and verse, I think it's 12. Did I even put that in there, Sam? Did I? I did. This was the first sign for, to Ahaz, who was so wicked, he didn't even want God to give him a sign. I don't want God in my life. And God says, too bad. I'm in there anyway. Here's your sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't ask for one, I'll give it to you anyway. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Now flip over to the New Testament in Matthew 1 and verse 27. The Bible says this. Did I put that in there? Oh, it's there. It looked like the same verse. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear his son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a direct quote of Isaiah 7, but then he tells us what it means, which is translated what? God with us. Truly human, truly God. And we ask the question, why does he need to be both in order to win our peace with God? I need two Sundays to explain that. And next week I'm going to do my best to explain to you why he needed to be truly man. And the following Sunday, why he needs to be truly God to make all of this work. In the meantime, could I encourage you to glory in a great Savior who is, who is wonderful, who is our counselor, who is the mighty God, who is the everlasting Father, and who ultimately is the Prince of Peace. And you thought that was just a little prophetic verse and yet I want to tell you today it speaks into your life at the intersection of your pain and your problem because he has come to set it right your biggest problem is not your circumstances on this earth your biggest problem is, is your lack of a relationship with your creator and when he is only your creator and not your redeemer, he is then your judge. And every human being feels it innately, intuitively. We medicate it with alcohol, drugs, sex, um, power, prestige, whatever. We, we fill our lives so we don't feel the judgment of God breathing down our neck, but we can never get away from it. 
If He is just your Creator, then He must be your judge. When He becomes your Redeemer, He becomes your Father. You don't run away from Danny. You run to Him. And I close with this. When I was a little kid, I know where we get it now. Apparently, we got it from our Father. The biggest thing in our home, the biggest uh, award you could wear was when you hid behind a door or under a bed and scared one of your siblings. It was a big deal. We loved it. We got it from Dad. He started it. So much so, I forget which kid it was. Was it Sam or was it Zach? Or maybe it was Paul. When Pastor John was here, John was in the restroom. Which one of you was it that scared him? Do you remember? I think it was Zach. John is in the restroom. And Zach thinks it's me. And so, and this was not a church day, thankfully. So John comes out of the restroom and Zach is hiding in the hall. And when John comes out, Zach, Zach jumps out. Boo! And John screamed like a girl. I mean, it was so unmasculine. Um, and, and both of them were horrified. John, because he was dying of a heart attack. But Zach, because he thought it was me and he just about killed Pastor John. But I remember when I was a little fella, just, just old enough to remember things, um, my sister Sherry came toddling down the hallway. I mean, so she was just starting to walk. And I look, and I, I see Dad standing behind the door. And, I, and I'm thinking, this is going to be good. And sure enough, she gets down there, and he jumps out and says, boom! And you know what she does? She runs right to him, ran right in his arms, even though he's the one that scared her. Why would she do that? And here's why. Because she knows that the answer to her fear is the very one who gave her the fear in the first place. And I want to tell you something today in closing, this time for real. You're feeling the fear of God and you should. If you don't, you're, you're in bigger trouble than you know. We always feel the judgment of God breathing down our neck. We intuitively know how bad we are and that our sin cannot be overlooked. But it is that fear that should cause us to run to our Father, not away. Don't run away, run to. Because that fear is your salvation. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And a government be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Father, I pray that today we would know you as these descriptions. We would understand that the Redeemer is truly man and that he also is truly God and that we would run to you as we see you as wonderful and counselor as the mighty God as the everlasting father and the prince of peace you are our rock of ages and may we stand in you and in you alone 
And Lord, as we do feel the weight and the burden of our sin and the ensuing judgment that is there, as we feel the weight of that, may it drive us to you and not away. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.